0: Let's open our Bible, John chapter 11. This is uh, the love chapter in the Gospel of John, I think, because Jesus just loves these people, Martha, Mary, and of course, Lazarus, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. He, he just loved them. He loved all of them, and uh, he loves each one of you in a very unique and special way, and, he, and he, he knows that you're very unique, a rare and beautiful treasure. That's what I read in that passage in uh, Proverbs 24. You're a rare and beautiful treasure. Some of you are rarer than others. Wonderfully made. Wonderfully made. I saw Antiques Road, so I love that show because, you know, it's like I'm always going to find that thing, you know. <laughs> But this guy had a Rolex watch, which he had bought himself, though. He didn't find it. And uh, anybody see this? Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I didn't. I'll tell you then. I didn't even that. So he has this watch there, right? And I can't remember what the city was, but, you know, the guy's talking about the watch. And he had all the documentation and all the paperwork and everything. The thing had never been worn, like, from the 70s, like 1971. And so you know the guys tell him, yeah, you know, and and uh, he told them how much uh, ones like it had sold for, and then the guy fell on the ground, and then he told them what his was worth, and he didn't fall on the ground. He just like he swore, okay, and they bleeped it out, you know. What's that got to do with anything? Oh yeah, the rare. Rare part. I was going off on a rabbit trail here. Because now you all want to know, well, how much was it worth, right? Uh, those of you that haven't seen, uh, venture a guess. 7000 $7,000. 100 Can I hear? Seven? <laughs> what is going it was going to be uh, between seven and $900,000 wow. so a close. watch that he probably paid $200 for back, mm-hmm. back in the day. So, $300? (laughs) These guys are going to fact-check me now. You know, if that's what a watch is worth, which is just a thing, how much are you worth in God's sight? How much are you as a human being, you know, way, way more than just what we, you know, what we put value on these, you know, items, these things, these things of this world, which, you know, even if he never wears the thing, it's still going to rust. It's still going to, you know, corrode. So Jesus loved Martha. We looked at that. Jesus loved Mary. We looked at that last week. He, he called for her. She stayed in the house, and he called for her. He was waiting for her outside, and she came to him, and, and you know, she responded very quickly, it says... Uh, there in verse 31, it says, uh, When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her. She, she, she heard the voice of Jesus and she moved. She didn't wait around. She didn't say, well, i got to have a prayer meeting now to see if it's okay to follow him, to, to, to go and meet with him, to do what he needs to do to hear what he has to say, even though I felt and I believe that there was a sense in her, uh, her faith was kind of shaken a little bit and, and disappointed that Jesus hadn't been there. She said it to him as well. Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. So, but she got there quickly. And then it, it says uh, there uh, in verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. She fell at his feet, and, and you know, I, I, there's just something about that. I talked about that, but I think, uh, you know, it's it's worth repeating, is that there's something about being at the feet of Jesus. And uh, Bruce and I were talking about this. You know, there's something about physically lowering ourselves, too, that as we physically get down on our faces before Jesus, that, that there's something that humbles our, our insides, too. You know... Philippians tells us that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. At some point, we are all going to bow the knee before Him. It's, it's whether we do it willingly or we are forced to do it at, at the end of time, and we, we've made our choice, we've made our decision. But we will all bow before Jesus Christ. In Matthew 21, uh, they were talking there about Jesus being the cornerstone, the the chief cornerstone. And, and, uh, you know, it says there this, "...he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed." I, I, I want to fall on the, the, the cornerstone, fall at the feet of Jesus. That's what that's what I want to do by choice. I don't want to be crushed. I want to fall and be broken before Him. A broken and contrite spirit, oh God, you will not despise. You will not turn away as we humble ourselves before Him. That, that's just so huge, so, so huge. Can you remember the last time you were on the ground on your face before Almighty God? before Jesus? It's a big question. It's a real question. Well, I don't have anywhere to do it. You do. You can go into the bathroom and lock the door. I've thought about this. If you don't have a spot and you want to, you know, Jesus said, go into your closet, shut the door, right? And be alone with with the Father, be alone with God. You can find a place where you can get on your face before Almighty God. And I dare you to do it. So Jesus loved Mary, and and He cared for her. He wept with her. He, He showed His heart to her, that He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. In verse 36, if you want to read that with me, it says there, Then the Jews, they saw Jesus weeping. The Jews said, See how He loved Him. You know, Jesus did love Lazarus, you know, but... But the word that, and I pointed this out, I want to point it out one more time. The word they used there was the, 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 the verb phileo. See how he loved him. And, and the first message in verse 3 was, Lord, the one you love, speaking about Lazarus, was sick in phileo. But in verse 5, it says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus with this unselfish, agape love. It's way beyond what you and I can imagine. That brotherly love, phileo is, is brotherly love, but agape is the God kind of love where he, he, he pours it all out. And that's the kind of love that He has for you and for me. Do you know that? Do I know that? It's much more than we know, much deeper, more, much more real than you and I would ever know. So we saw that, we see that in verse 5. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So today we're going to focus on Lazarus, that that Jesus loves Lazarus. He does. He loves him now. He loved him then. But where's Lazarus? He's dead. Lazarus is dead, but he loves him. Look at verse 37. But some of them, some of the Jews said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Similar kind of thought to what Mary and Martha had said. If you'd only been here, they're saying the similar thing. Could not, if he had been here, could not he have, have kept this man from dying? We, we heard about the fact that he opened the eyes of the blind. But there, there's still this thought, you know, if... If he really loved him, if, if Jesus, if you really loved him, and again, they didn't understand the depths of his love, if he really loved him, why, why wasn't he there to, to do something? And that's something we face often in our life. Lord, if you really love me, why did you let this happen? How could you let this happen to me? My car broke, broke down. How could you, you know, let this happen that I, I lost my job or I, I came up with some kind of a sickness or some kind of a problem? How could you let this happen to me? If you really love me, you would protect me from all those things. Have you ever thought anything like that? I'd say Lazarus has got a bit of a problem. He's dead. I mean, it doesn't get any worse than this, right? If you really love me, Lazarus... You know, if you really love me, Lazarus is thinking, well, he's not thinking, is he? No, he's dead. But the other people are thinking it. But there's kind of a, a thought, I think, too, that it's just too late. It's too late. The sisters kind of had that thought, too. It's too late now. If you'd been here, maybe something could have happened. But it's too late now. Nothing nothing can happen. And that's another common thing that we face too. It's gotten this far. God, you can never do anything now. It's too far. I'm I'm too far gone. I'm a mess. You can't do anything now. It's just too late. I'm just going to have to suffer through it until I get to heaven. And that's, you know, my only hope. But he shows us in this chapter that's not always true, is it? There are some times, though, that we're going to suffer In fact, uh, reading in Philippians, the book of what? What's Philippians, the book of? Joy. Philippians is the book of joy. and, And Paul says there, you know, that it's given, it's graciously given to us on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. It's a grace gift. It's given to us by God sometimes to suffer. There's a lot of purposes in it, a lot of things we can learn, a lot of growing that happens, I think, when we, when we go through suffering and the very difficult things of this life. And I think, I think you can say here, too, that, that they're in the learning process here. Something was going to be learned through this, right? Yep. And you and I have got a lot to learn. Anybody here, you've learned it all? You're all set? because the ushers can usher you out because you don't need to be here because you're all good. You're all set. Look at verse 38, though. Jesus, you know, you just stop there. Jesus, you know, all that. But Jesus, when you got to come to Jesus and and, and what is he going to do? And he gets there to the tomb. It says, once more deeply moved, he, he was moved, he was groaning inside. And he came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. He came to where Lazarus was. He knew that Lazarus couldn't come to him, right? Well, that's kind of obvious. <laughs> so what did he do? He came to Lazarus. Now, uh, you know, every circumstance, every person, as I said, we're all unique. Our situation's all different. What happened with Mary? He waited, he waited for Mary to come to him. But Lazarus couldn't come to him, so, La- so Jesus came to Lazarus. There's sometimes when you and I, you know, we can't even get the word out, Lord. We are in such a bad way, such a bad, or maybe, maybe that's the only word, or maybe the only word we can get out is help. And he'll come. He knows that. There are other times, though, like Mary, when we need to get up off our duff and go to him and make some effort and do something. But every situation, every time, every person, we're all different. It's all different. So Jesus came to Lazarus, came to that cave. What does that remind you of? The cave with a stone laid across the entrance. What does that remind you of? We'll be there soon, right? In a few weeks. But Lazarus is dead. You know, you can't get any deader than dead. Lazarus is dead. Jesus told his disciples that. Well, they said, well, maybe he's just sleeping. We get, he'll get better when we get there. But he's dead. He's dead, Jim. Those Star Trek people, right? He's dead, Jim. I got to watch that episode someday. I just like the line. Lazarus is dead. It's the the end. There's no hope in their minds. But Jesus wanted to do something. Jesus wants to do something. Does he want to do something in your life? Yes. Yes, he does. What is it? I don't know. But he knows, and he always has a plan. He always has a purpose. Look what happens in verse 39. Jesus said, Take away the stone." This is the word of who? <coughs> Jesus. You can say that out loud. <coughs> oh, you got a frog in your throat? It's okay. Get rid of it? Yep. Okay, now let's hear it. Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, we can say that. Jesus wanted to do something, and Jesus said, Take away the stone, the tents, as I discovered in my... Blue-letter Bible is imperative tense. That means it's imperative. Take away the stone. This is something you have to do. And it's second-person plural means you plural. You all need to be involved in this. Take away the stone. Move the stone. And good old Martha comes to the rescue. Lord! Yeah, but Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, she didn't say that, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. It's actually a, a verb. By this time he stinks. He is stinking. It's right now. It's bad. It's really, really bad. The smell of death is, aw- is awful, but that's the reality of how bad it was. Jesus wanted them all to see, to understand, to know this is bad. This is not only bad, this is really, really bad. That's one of the reasons, right, that he waited. He, he postponed his return back to Bethany for two whole days. He wanted them to know how bad it really, really was. And our situations get really, really bad sometimes too. This idea of fragrance, though, the Jesus, you know, he brings the, the fragrance of life. You know, it's like it's like an air freshener on steroids, right? <laughs> you know, he brings the fragrance of life into the places where the smell of death is. Amen. And that's what he does. That's, that's who he is. Amen. Amen. Paul talks about the fragrance of the knowledge of Jesus. And he says that we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are the smell of death. To the other, the fragrance of life. To those that are rejecting, it's like it, it's, not, it doesn't, it's not good. It's the smell of death. But to those who are, are open to receiving Christ, it's life. It's the fragrance of life. And that's, I think, what Jesus was bringing to that situation. Now, Uh, You've all heard of John Corson? Uh, John Corson said this. I kind of like what he said here. He says, the Lord wants to do something in our lives, but before he does, oftentimes he'll say, roll away the stone. Expose the problem. Let me have total access to the situation. That's kind of cool, huh? not cool when we're going through it because many times we, we say, oh no, I, I'm too embarrassed about that. It stinks. There's something in us that God wants to do and we, we lock it up. No, you can't, you can't work with me on that. Nuh-uh. But Jesus said to them, I want to do something. He said to the people there, take away the stone. You need to do something. Open it up. Let me in. You've got to open it up to let me do something. Interesting, isn't it? Interesting thought. Are there areas in your life that you're just not letting him in? Maybe you've never let him in at all. Maybe you're in a place where you know you're you're, you're okay. Maybe even come to church and 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 that's okay. But you know, I like to listen, but I'm really not going to let you in. But I kind of feel good if I come there and maybe it makes me feel good, but. But Jesus is saying, roll away the stone. I want to come in. I, I want to come enter your life. I, even the ugly places, even in the stinky places, the, the horrible, the dead places that are rotting, right? That's what was happening, right? Putrefaction, rot was happening. It's horrible. But Jesus could still do something. Verse 40, after what Martha said, then Jesus said, which one do we follow, Jesus or Martha? Jesus Jesus said, you know, Jesus, first he said, take away the stone, now he says, did I not tell you, I already told you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God, didn't I tell you? And he has told us and he told them and he explained to them, you know, he's the resurrection and the life. We need to believe. You need to trust me. This is all for the glory of God if you believe. But have you noticed here? There seems to be an order. What is the order? What's the order there? Believe and then see. Or is it See, and then believe. No. If you see, then you'll believe. Now, the truth of the matter is, both come into play in the lives of human beings. Because yeah. mm-hmm. Jesus said, and, and the Gospel of John says, I should say, that these things are written that you may believe. And these things were explained to us that, that we would hear about them and, what, what, and the people who saw these miracles, they would see and then they would believe. But there's something about faith though that, that to trust him and then see. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. What? The evidence of things not seen. There's proof that comes after we trust, after we believed, after after we put our, our hope in him. That's the order. He says, if you believed, you would see the glory of God. Yes. Well, that's what I, I want to see the glory of God. Do you want to see the glory of God? Well, you, you've got to trust Him. You've got to believe. Got to, we've got to hold on to Him and listen to what He says and not what Martha says or not what the world says, not what some politician says, not you know, what some you know, movie star or some musician says, even Christian musicians. We need to listen to what Jesus says. He said His words are spirit and they are what? Life. My, word is, my words are spirit and they are life. So what do they do? They said, well, we'll come back another day. Let's wait till the, you know, the smell goes down and then we'll come back. Is that what happened? No. No, verse 41. So... And the word literally means then or therefore, because of what Jesus said, therefore, they took away the stone. They, they took away the stone. They heard what Jesus said and they believed him and they, they did something about it. They acted on what he said. They acted on what he said. He's speaking. He speaks to us all the time through his word and and. If we're listening, we'll hear his voice. But then we always have a choice: Are we going to believe, and we going to act on it? Are we going to do what he says? In John chapter 13, we'll be there in probably about a year or so. Uh, Jesus said, "Happy are you now that you know these things." He says this after he gave the example of being a servant, in, and he showed them his love, it says. He showed them his agape love. He says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed or happy if you do them. If you don't do anything, don't expect to see anything. And, and so they, they believed and they acted, and, and God was going to do something that they had never, they, they really didn't even at that point know what was going to happen. They still didn't know that he was going to rise from the dead, that that Jesus was going to bring him back to life. But isn't this beautiful? In verse 41b, the second half, it says Jesus looked up. He looked up and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they... May believe that you sent me. Hallelujah. What does he do? He prays. Amen. But it's just beautiful, I think. You see, Jesus is there, and, and you know, the, the stone is, has been removed now, and it's not a very nice situation. But what does Jesus do? He looks up. He doesn't look down, he doesn't look around, he looks up. And that's what you and I need to do, too. We, you know, so often we get so focused on all the circumstances, we need to look up. Look up. That's where the answer is. He gave us this example. Jesus showed us. He didn't. He didn't. You know. He he was had perfect. You know, fellowship with the Father. But he didn't have to do the things that he did. But but he did them for you and I to see. This is what we should do. Look up. Look up for your redemption draws nigh. Reminded of that scripture. He says that they may believe that you sent me. It's really all about Jesus, isn't it? About who he is. And that really is God's desire. That's Jesus's desire that that we would believe in him, that we would trust in him. I I say it a lot because I face it a lot where where God says to us, will you trust me? Will you trust me? It happens to me like, Way more than I want to admit. Where I'm going through something and I get all worked up, I get all twisted out of shape, and God says, will you trust me? Will you trust me? And you can put emphasis on every one of those words, but, but and it all has a part to play in that. We make a choice. Okay, I, I'm going to trust you. I'm trying. I trust you. <coughs> Verse 43 this is exciting, isn't it? This is exciting. Verse 43, when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. He cried in a loud voice. He said it loud. Now, did he have to say it loud? No. You know, I think sometimes we think God can't hear very well, so we got to pray really loud. And then God will hear us. You know, God doesn't have any hearing problem. What would you say? We get hearing problems. My wife's always yelling at me about that. You got the problem. We watched this movie and the, the old guy, you know, he, he was twisting all the words that, that were being said and his wife was just saying, no, that's not what they said. And they're like 80 or something. My wife said, "You're going to be just like that." I said, "What? What'd you say?" <laughs> Jesus cried. He called out in a loud voice. He cried out. He he cried aloud so that the people would hear. He could have whispered it. He could have just he could have just thought it. And, and and that would be enough. You know, the only other time where it says that Jesus raised his voice like this was on the cross. He spoke loudly on the cross. Interesting thing, too, this same word is used when the crowds are crying out, yelling, crucify him, crucify him. That which gave us life. Interesting. Anyways, he says, he says these words, Lazarus come out, and it too is in the imperative tense. That, you, you know, he's going to come out. When Jesus says it, this is what it has to be. And, and I, I read it in about 100 places. Well, that's a little bit of hyperbole, but I read it in a bunch of places. They said that if he did not specify Lazarus, all the people would come out of the tombs because that's how powerful he is. But he had to specify that this was Lazarus. I want Lazarus to come out. And he calls him by name, and he calls you and I by name. So what happened? They all sat around waiting? No. Verse 44, the dead man came out. Jesus said, Lazarus, come out, and the dead man came out. I'm going to become a Pentecostal. I mean, you know, this is like radical. I don't have to yell so you can hear me, though, because Tony will just turn it down. (laughs) But this is crazy. This is crazy radical. Jesus speaks, and the dead man came out. At the word of Jesus, he came out. Jesus has power over death. Jesus has power. He's the God of the impossible. He can do the things that he wants to do at his word. That's all it takes. His word gives life. You read about it in Ezekiel 37, you know, the dry bones. It says that he would bring life. He would speak in the dry bones, they would come together, and he would bring life to the, the dry and dead bones. What can he do with you and with me? Now, we're not dead physically here in this room, hopefully. Let me look around, make sure. (laughs) I don't see anybody yet. Oh, that's someone just sleeping over there, I'm sorry. (laughs) He's sleeping, he'll wake up. But there's different kinds of death, isn't there? There's physical death, which is what we're talking about right here. He was physically dead. And there's also spiritual death. Interesting question. I had to to do, you know, check this out. How many people were raised from the dead physically in the Bible? Anybody know? It's a good question, right? Well, technically... Uh, we don't have the exact number, but there are, only, there are only 10 instances where in the Bible people are raised from the dead. Only 10 instances. In the Old Testament, there are... Uh, where am I? Uh, let's see. In the Old Testament, there are four... I oh, don't know, three... How many did Jesus raise from the dead? Four. I'll tell you which in a minute. And then after Jesus, there were three more. So really, there were only uh, ten instances. The reason why we don't know exactly, because in Matthew 27, you know, uh, at Jesus' death, it says the saints in Jerusalem came out of the tomb. So we don't know exactly how many that, that included. But, you know, we have Elijah raising the widow's son, uh, Elisha raising another woman's son. Uh, There there was an Israelite man when when, uh, uh, he was tossed into Elisha's tomb. He came back to life. But then in in the New Testament, you know, as far as Jesus goes, you know, the widow of Nain. In the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, Jesus, you know, raised uh, this widow's son. And and how did he do it? It says he spoke to the man. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The second one would be the daughter of Jairus. First a widow's son and the daughter of Jairus. And how did that happen? It says that he spoke to her. He says, little girl, I say to you, get up. He spoke to her. Here in John chapter 11, he speaks to Lazarus too. Interesting. The word of Jesus. So that's three. So who's the fourth? Who? Who's number four? Jesus. He raised himself from the dead. Yeah. Yeah, you, re- you can read about that. He's included in that. After... After Jesus, you know, there was the the saints in Jerusalem that I mentioned, and then Tabitha, right, also known as Dorcas uh, by Peter. And then I think the funniest one, if it can be called funny, is a guy named Eutychus by Paul. So Peter was instrumental in raising someone. Of course, they didn't do it by their own strength or anything. Then Paul uh, raised this young man, Eutychus. Anybody remember that story? Paul was preaching late at night, and he just went on and on and on, and he fell asleep, but he was sitting in the window, and he fell, and he died. And Paul said, this is not going to look good on my resume. And he <laughs> went down and, you know, prayed and, and, and uh, threw himself on the young man, and, and God revived him, brought him back to life. That's pretty interesting. The point of all this is there really weren't that many. There were, you know, 10 instances. That's not a lot in the history of the whole Bible, right? But the question we have to ask is how many spiritually dead, if they're physically dead and spiritually dead, how many spiritually dead has he raised up? The number, yeah, is is innumerable. We, we, We don't even know the number. So which, which do you think is, more, you know, is he doing more of? It, it seems obvious, but, but I think we have to understand is that we are spiritually dead. Paul talks about it in Ephesians. We, you know, without Jesus Christ in our hearts and lives, we are dead. We are dead inside. I think we know that. You know, I, I, I never watch this because I don't like horror films. I see enough horror just around in the world yeah. to, to go and watch that stuff and subs, you know, uh, submit yourself, subject yourself to that kind of nonsense. I know some of you people do. And, you know, how do you sleep at night? Yeah. Right. Yeah. But there's a show called The Walking Dead, right? I've never watched it. I don't know what it's even about. But that really kind of describes what we are. We're walking around. We get around, we go to work, we we get up, we, we breathe, we eat and all that, but we're dead inside. We're spiritually dead until Jesus comes in and brings us new life. That's the new birth where we're born again and we have a brand new life. If you don't have that, you're dead inside. You're dead spiritually. Paul says later in Ephesians 2 that, that God, who is rich in mercy, He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. He made us alive. He's the only one that can do that. He's the only one that can bring life to you and to me. I like like what uh, it says in Romans chapter 4, speaking about the man Abraham. uh, He was the father of faith. It says, He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. He looks at you and me and says, you know what, there's nothing there. There's only death there. there the, we are not, but he calls us and he gives us life. He gives life to the dead and and brings us life to us. Now, is that for everybody and every person in the whole human race that he has done that for? No. It says, it says this, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, what, believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We're dead inside, but it's not automatic. I think America, as Americans, we think it's automatic. I've been, I born, I'm a born American. I have a flag in my house, and I'm a Christian by birth. Is that true? You know, I think it, it might have been a little bit more true in terms of the numbers of people in our country who were truly Christians, truly born-again believers, but you look around today and what happened to the Christian nation that we once were. That's a whole other subject. That's a scary topic. We've gone a long, long ways away from who we once were. We need revival. We need to be called back. We need repentance is what we need. Some of the stuff that we're doing uh, is abominable in the... Excuse me, in the sight of God. As a nation, but it's also true of us as individuals. And and we need to be born again and be forgiven of our sins. The God who gives life to the dead, to all who would believe. So, the rest of the story, let's finish up. The dead man came out, verse 44. The dead man came out but it says that his hands and his feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face and jesus said to them take off the grave clothes and let him go he came out but he was still kind of all wrapped up how did he get out i don't know for sure different people have their different theories you know it happened this way it happened that way. i don't even the fact is he came out but he was still all wrapped up. He was alive, though. He was breathing in there. You know, he was probably trying to talk to him. It was all awful, you know. <laughs> what did Jesus do? He said, take off the grave clothes. Unwrap him and let him go. That's the rest of the story. He was alive, but, but he was still you know, kind of wrapped up and his movements were hindered. He, he couldn't really go forward. He was about to fall on his face probably. And Jesus said to, to unbind him, to loose him, set him free. And, and, and that not that kind of true of us sometimes too? We, we are born again, but there's still kind of stuff all wrapped up. We're wrapped up and maybe we need some help from somebody else. Mm-hmm. He couldn't do it himself. He was all wrapped up. But Jesus didn't do it. He wanted the people who were there to do it, the people around him. And sometimes we got to help each other. You got to help me. I got to help you. Pray for each other. David Guzik said this. This is my final closing, or maybe my second-to-last closing. Said <laughs> so Jesus did only what God could do, and then he looked for man's cooperation for the completion of Lazarus's deliverance. They had to get involved. So, so Jesus loved Lazarus. Yes, he did. What did he do? It says he gave him life. It, show, it says that he, it, he showed him his power and, and also that he cared about his family too, I think. There's something about that as well in the, in the whole story and how he was deeply moved and he wept at the, the tomb. Notice the last two letters of Lazarus. What are they? Us. Us. You know what? He wants to do the same thing for us. He loves you and I. He loves us. And he wants to give us life. He wants to bring life to our dead hearts. And I think, too, even for those of us who are believers, he wants to bring life to those dead areas that we have in us. Every one of us has those areas that are dead, that are smelly. That are not good, and he wants to come in and bring life to those areas. I have no idea what they are in your life. I know what they are in my life, and, and it's a daily process, I think a daily, you know, humbling ourselves and, and, and letting him in, letting him have access. But he's still working today, and I think he cared about Lazarus, and I think he cares about you. Let's pray, shall we? Oh, Lord, thank you for your wonderful word. It's, it's absolutely incredible, phenomenal. It's beyond what we could ask or imagine, what you did for this, this man, Lazarus, and, and yet you want to work in my life? We sang that song, Remember, and how we remember that you are always faithful, and, and yet... There's still work to be done. There's still people around us who are are dead spiritually and need to hear about the love of Jesus. And then there's me, and then there's you, and and us. The work that that needs to be done in us, Lord. As as bad as it seems, we right now we we in our minds and our hearts we roll away the stone to let you have access to let you in maybe we've never ever let you in and we've we're, we've been so closed up tight we we're dead inside and, and but yeah now we want to ask you in and it says in john 1 "The many has has believed and and, and received him to them, he gave the power to become children of God. And that's what you and I need to do. And maybe that's you today. You've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Your, the, the time is now, and you can open your heart and life and ask him in and say, Jesus, I've heard about you, and I'm a mess. And I ask you to come in now and, and do something in me. Save me. Rescue me today. February 2nd, 2020. I surrender to you. Lord, there's others of us that... Maybe there's something we're fighting against, we're struggling with, and and Lord, we have to let you in to to deal with it. And we do that now. We say, Lord, okay. Okay. Come in and and I do need help. And maybe I need help from my brothers and sisters too, to, to get those grave clothes off the strips and that are holding me back and holding me tight. So I say, okay today just take a moment just you and him Jesus, 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 we need you, we love you, in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, let's stand and sing together, shall we?